I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, Dr. Keith Coburn, Dr. Paul Meyer, and Grant Davis join me, Kristen Walker, because I wanted to know about treatment programs like the Meyer Clinic's Catalyst program. As someone who works diligently on my own mental well-being and have struggled with mental illness, it was important for me and for many of our listeners that we delve into how these types of programs work why some, like the Catalyst program, are so unbelievably effective, and share that people from all over the globe, including well-known leaders who have the same reasons we all do for not taking the time to do a three- or four-week program, literally drop everything and come anyway. So while Dr. Coburn, Dr. Meyer, and Mr. Davis work from the Richardson, Texas Meyer Clinic, I wanted to make sure that you all know that the Catalyst program is also available at their Wheaton, Illinois, and Bothell, Washington locations. You can go to www.meierclinics.com for more information. I loved this show. It answered a lot of questions for me, and I hope it answered some of the questions that we've received from you, our listening family. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, Kristen Sonata Walker here, and we're on with a round table with Dr. Paul Meyer. We have Grant Davis, who has joined us for the last few shows. Hi, Grant. Thanks for coming back on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And then, of course, Paul. <laughs> Can't do the show hey, without Kristen. you. <laughs> and Paul, you brought another um, guest on tonight, so will you go ahead and do the introduction? Yeah, I'm really, really, really happy tonight, um, since, especially since we're going to talk about day programs, uh, you know, uh, where people can get really just an amazing, like a six months to a year worth of therapy done in, in uh, three weeks. And so I'm happy to have as our guest tonight, Dr. Keith Coburn. And uh, Dr. Coburn has been with our clinic in, in uh, Richardson, you know, a suburb of Dallas for about 78 years now, right, Keith? <laughs> no, about, about 25, right? Is it about, about 25 or I'm in my, my 28 years? 28th year now, yes. Yeah, 28 years. And he runs the day program. So he runs it in, in uh, Grant Davis, we're happy to have with us tonight too, is our nurse practitioner. And uh, when people come, 
to our day program. They come from all over the, really from other countries even. But when people come to our day program, they stay in a, a hotel nearby. And, uh, and I do the, I see them for an hour or longer to figure out what the, what, what I feel like the problem is in the main, it sort of get things kicked off, you know, the main direction we need to go in or things like mm-hmm. that. And then, uh, uh, Grant Davis is our nurse practitioner and he sees them every single day to see, uh, the ones who need medication, which most of them do to help speed up their recovery. Uh, he sees them every single day and, and, uh, does a, a little bit of, brief psychotherapy with them too, but mostly to see if they're having side effects and change their meds and things like that. And then Keith Colburn is the one, he's the, the, the genius behind the whole thing. He, he's the one that he, he does some of the groups. He trains the counselors. He just, you know, guides everything there and, uh, and help create it when we created it together. And, uh, and uh, he's just an awesome therapist. And, and, and when people are there, we dig and we probe and we, we uh, try to get people to spill their guts, you know. And, and uh, I tell people when they come in, I say, uh, you know, somebody will be crying when I'm doing the interview. And they'll, and they'll apologize. I said, don't, don't apologize. We're going to try to get you to cry every day you know, <laughs> while you're here. And, uh, and we use a lot of short, shortcut techniques, too, because... For, I'll just give you a quick example that I'm going to, I'm going to shut up and let these guys talk. But um, if somebody, for example, had been sexually abused as a child um, by, let's say a parent, you know, by her dad, um, then w- when you get therapy, if she got therapy, if this gal got therapy now that she's 30 years old and, or, or however, it, uh, she'd have to talk about that with a therapist for maybe months, you know, but we'll years. do stuff, yeah. yeah, or years, and we'll do stuff like instead of talking about it, we'll put an empty chair in front of her, right in front of the whole group, and say, okay, pretend like your dad's sitting there in the chair, and tell him how you feel about what he did, and they'll be scared to death to do it, but Keith will, you know, he'll badger them until they do it, <laughs> do it, and when they do, they'll they'll burst out and cry, and 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 what happens is decasexus, we call it. Uh, the, the emotions come pouring out, and uh, Keith can share. There's a lot of techniques that we use to shortcut the therapy process, and it's amazing. It's amazing what what Grant does. People could could come in and be manic or be uh, even a little delusional or things like that. They're, they're usually not. They're normal everyday people that are going through a crisis, but they could be almost anything. And he'll put them on medication and uh, see them every day. And within, if somebody were out of touch with reality and thought they were Jesus and heard voices telling them they were in about eight days on a certain type of medicine, they'd be normal. And look back and say, I can't believe I believe that. So it's amazing what you can do with great therapy and great medication. So I'm going to shut up now. And, uh, and, and, and Keith and I wrote a book together too, but, but uh, right, Keith is just, he's just an awesome marriage therapist family systems therapist, you know, gestalt therapist. He, he does it all. And he trains the other counselors so well. I was going to say the two of you wrote a book together called meaning in life, right? He, yeah. That's right. So, Paul was trying to get me to help him write a book for years and years and finally caught me into it. So we did. He has yeah. a way of doing that, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so I want to say this to listeners. Um, this idea to, ta- to talk about this subject was mine. It was not Paul's um, or Melanie's or Grant's, and certainly not Keith, Dr. Coburn. So I, I wanted to talk about this because I find it fascinating. I went the, the long therapeutic route uh, and I wish I had had something like this uh, because I, I was the child that was sexually abused by a parent. So, um, and I'm 48. And so it took of decades to get to a lot through a lot of stuff, even though I started at 12, I would have, oh, to be able to go somewhere. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that after three weeks, people are cured because it's a lifelong thing and it changes and morphs as you go through different stages throughout your life. But I so would have benefited from something like this. And so it fascinates me, the process. And, and it also fascinates me how terrified people are when they hear about something like this. And so I kind of want to demystify it a bit and um, take some of the stigma out of it and really look at, you can either suffer for many, 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 many years and have this effect relationship after relationship after relationship in your life over a long period of time, or you can go and do something that accelerates you getting through this pain. And in my book, I would want to do something to accelerate getting through it because it's so painful. So I want to turn this over to you, Keith, and just kind of tell us why you love, you know, this process. And, um, and then, you know, let's talk about why this is such a, um, an important journey for people to, to really evaluate doing for themselves. Okay. I love doing it because because of what you're saying, I can see results take place pretty quickly. I mean, things start to happen pretty quick. You know, it still may take some time after, certainly nobody's going to be totally uh, recovered, healed after they leave after a three or four week stay in the, in the day program, but it, it really sets them uh, on a good start and on a good path. And the reason it, it works is because the way the way we're set up, we we have groups. We have different groups. We have education groups. We have uh, a Christian living group. We have an education group where people learn about the things that they're dealing with that come from abuse. They learn about depression. They learn about how their emotions work. They learn about a big issue is that we deal with there with a lot of abuse issues is shame. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time on looking at shame, toxic shame, and how destructive it is. And so. The, the best way to heal shame is to expose it. And uh, the best way to do that is in a group setting. And so uh, because there's lots of validation and, and empathy that's shown and that's been proven to help help people resolve the shame issues that's connected to the abuse that they grew up with. And, and it's also uh, known that group therapy is the most effective form of therapy that there is. If you were to, um, you could Google uh, the phrase 11 curative factors, and you would see why all these different factors that were, I believe Irving, Irving Yalom Paul, is that the guy that's uh, yeah. responsible for those? Yeah, he, he came up with these 11 curative factors, and these factors are things, dynamics that we all experience as human beings, and in group therapy, all of those 11 factors are at work, whereas in individual therapy, there may be just two or three of them. Mm. So group is the most effective way to deal with these things, and it's and it works 
very, very effectively. And the process group, explain what the process group is, uh, Keith. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> and some of the things, you ought, probably ought to confess some of the things you do <laughs> in there. But, yeah, I was just going to say, how about for the people that are absolutely terrified of, they're already terrified uh, and, and feel shame and they don't want to talk about it. And, and then you say, well, you're going to sit in a group and talk about it. How do you help people get past that abject you know, I remember, I remember feeling like I can't let this out. It'll never stop. It'll consume me. And, I, and then I had a group therapy session and I ripped a doll, an anatomically correct doll to shreds and hit it with a batonga and uh, or bataka. I don't remember what they're called. And that was like, yeah, 12, yeah, 12 years of therapy in that one group therapy session. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, how do you, how do you get people to kind of overcome that? Well, and that's common. People come in and they're they're afraid or they're uh, intimidated or they've just seen Dr. Meyer and they come in there and they're real anxious about being in group. And so one of the first things that we do is I have everybody go around and introduce themselves to that new person and tell them a little bit about what, what they're doing there. And, and more often than not, after they hear that, they start to relax a little bit and we don't ask them to share their full story on when they introduced themselves to us just a little brief part of it and so we they kind of warm up to it and it doesn't take typically it doesn't take but a couple of days okay they, they're they're affirmed by other people and they find out that other people are have experienced some of the same things that they're experiencing and uh that makes it a little bit easier to to move into so how about what paul just asked the process group explain what that is well, so the process group is, um, that's just group therapy. There's different kinds of groups. There's education groups where basically we teach people things. And the process group is an interactive group where uh, everybody needs to interact. Uh, there's rules. There's specific rules that the group goes by. And uh, there's also cross-talk cross in a therapy group, whereas if you were like in a self-help group, like a a celebrate recovery group yeah celebrate recovery or some other group where okay. it's, it's more of a uh there there is no crosstalk in those groups but these are therapy right. groups where people can give feedback about how they experience the person that's talking and you know part of the rules is that you know you do it in a supportive way so that each person can really benefit from the feedback also in the group we'll have them write letters uh, which is similar to the empty chair Paul was talking about. They'll, they'll write letters and to people. To their abusers to the, or. Yeah, to yeah. their abusers. That, that, and, not letters that they mail, but once in a while we have them uh, share it with uh, somebody. But lots of times they write it just to get it expressed. Yeah. How about, you know, someone is opened up like that and maybe it's the first time ever in their life and then they leave for the day to go like explain that process. They leave and they go to a hotel nearby. How I mean, I would be terrified after that, you know, feeling safe in that moment. And now I have to step out of the clinic and into the real world, even to get to my hotel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I watch out for that. I've learned over the many years about that. And I try, that's why on the first day, I tell, I have them only share just a brief amount because I've had people come in there and like you're saying, they share too much and then they don't come back the next day because right. they, they leave and they go, oh, what did I just do? And uh, 
they're too they have too much shame to come back. So I try to just regulate that at first, just let them share a little bit, get get some supportive feedback, and just hold I just hold them back if they if they start to share too much. And then Grant, when you're coming in and you're you know moderating and, and looking at medication, how is the, how much of that is is being measured against the the state that they're in emotionally? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, that's definitely a process. I think you know. Um, Clearly, their level of functioning, they're wanting to do a, our day program is, is they're not usually not in a very good place. <laughs> Clearly, you know, to, to so you know, we always start with, um, you know, start with try to do one medicine at a time. But sometimes we add multiple. But you know, I really rely a lot on um, obviously uh, when I'm meeting with the patient every day. It's uh, mental health is subjective, so I ask them kind of how their symptoms are or we're looking at, are we seeing improvement with anything that we have them on? Talk to about other symptoms they're having, just as simple as, you know, are you sleeping? If you're not sleeping, okay, well, can we do something to help facilitate the sleep? You know, right. sleep hygiene, medicines, um, you know, anxiety attacks, people with social anxiety. Um, and so then sh sharing in a group like that can be very overwhelming. Um, working through those things. And then, uh, you know, I rely on Dr. Coburn a, a lot and, and then the team of therapists to, to give me feedback as far as, you know, I, I see the patient every day, but not for near the length of time that these therapists are seeing them. And so getting feedback, okay, you know, patients coming in and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, things are great, things are fine. And then, you know, find out, okay, you know, this is the report I'm getting and like, oh, no, things are not fine. That, you know, the client's doing X, Y, Z in, in group or they're not sharing or, and so really I utilize and rely on um, Dr. Coburn's team a whole lot to help guide um, things because they're there with the patient and the client all day and right. really kind of get to see behavior and how their, you know, their self-talk, their how they're talking, communicating with others, a lot of things. Yeah. And, and Kristen, we, uh, once a week, once a week, we uh, for a little for an hour or a little bit over an hour if we need to, we uh, uh, Keith and Grant and I and all the counselors meet together and go over each patient one at a time, and uh, all share you know what we're learning about that that client and and uh, one of our psychologists does psychological testing on them and and she'll share the test results and what the computer is guessing is going on. So the therapist shares and Grant shares and we all share. I, I read my initial workup. So we all discuss that patient and figure out the game plan for that patient. We don't have one, just one way to do things and everybody's got like a square trying to fit in a, a, a hole, you know. The, the way we treat each client is individualized depending on, you know, their personality and what their needs are and how open they are to, to insight, you know, uh, if somebody's fragile and they're on the close, they're close to so depressed that they might lose touch with reality, then we go real gentle with them. But if mm. they're uh, if they're in there and, and and we think they're ready, then we'll go whole hog and and just dig and probe and and get stuff out as quick as we can and and get them to cry and share and pray and forgive and hit a punching bag if they need to or do different things to to bring about shortcuts. So we we all meet together. To, to figure out a game plan for each uh, individual. 
in addition to that meeting, we all sort of cross paths during the day. So maybe the, the clients had a, a session with their individual therapist, and I'll see that individual therapist before group, and they'll catch me up with what's going on. So we all keep up to date and, and keep communication like that going. You know, I'll check with Grant in the morning about kind of the med rounds and what's going on and anything I need to know about medication. So we stay in pretty close touch during the day as well as just that one meeting. That, that's an important meeting, but that's, you know, it's kind of ongoing throughout the week. Yeah, it's yeah, very collaborative. Yeah, I'm sure. And I know, you know, medication, if that's part of it, is, you know, being administered. And it may be very different from what they were first prescribed to what they end up leaving with. Right, Grant? Oh, that, that, yes, absolutely correct. I have a lot of clients that come in on, on medicines that we end up changing or on some things completely different. And, and that's the what's so cool about the program and, and me getting to see them every single day is, you know, it does, these medicines don't, some of them are as needed and they work immediately. And that's awesome. And we can really, you know, see, you know, start a new medicine and know by the next day, hey, is this helping? But then a lot of them, they do take time to build up. But you know, we can we can assess for immediate side effects, immediate tolerability that a lot of times we can't do on the outpatient level. Um, we we really encourage a lot of the genetic testing to make sure that we're genetically on the right medicine. Um, but you know, we we you know, it's it's so cool to get to see a medical provider every day. I think, and and to really get to work that closely with your medicines and make we can sometimes make quicker adjustments than we would on an outpatient level. Because again, they're going to be seen the next day, so we we know if there are any problems with it or if things are going great, and we and we keep we keep going with with meds like that. But um, yeah, uh, go ahead. Uh, an example is uh, um, you know we can see anybody that's been having panic attacks for thirty straight years, and we can end them in about half an hour, you know, where they won't have any more. <laughs> but we'd have to load them up on so much, uh, you know. I mean, by, by loading them up on a major tranquilizer or or on uh, some benzodiazepines or something. And Keith always, uh, he always says to Grant and me, he says, now don't, don't get them so relaxed that they don't work on their problems. You know, <laughs> give them enough so they're not in pain, but don't give them so much that they don't work on their problems. And the next day they just say, oh, I feel great. I don't need to work on my problems, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but, but depression, uh, like Grant was saying, if somebody's depressed and, and you pick a good antidepressant for them and, then they feel about 25% better each week. So it takes about a month. And so they go home before it's even had a full effect. Or if, if we put them on something like Lamictal, which is my favorite medicine for anxiety, but it takes about three or four weeks. About It takes about a month to get them up to a decent level. you got to climb real gradual. And so we will give them some medications that give them some immediate relief, but not so much that that Keith gets mad at me. So <laughs> I think that's an important component that I always assess for, you know, when we're talking. So, you know, every morning we, we kind of do a, a little uh, review of symptoms and, and, okay, how's the depression? How's anxiety? How's PTSD stuff? How, you know, uh, panic attacks? Are you having suicidal thoughts, nightmares, suicidal thoughts, all of the normal things. But, you know, when, when I know I'm meeting with a client that has a post-traumatic stress disorder diagnosis that, well, I'm, the team is asking this patient to to deal with a lot, and so just because there's some distress, that does not mean I make a medicine change. There's some of this, you know, we don't use the, the term normal, but there is a level of quote unquote normal that anyone would experience when they're discussing these hard issues that 
on a day-to-day basis this person actively tries to avoid thinking about and talking about and we're saying hey it's time to talk about it and so i talk the patient through that as well as like hey this is stuff you just got to get out i don't want to medicate this i don't want to adjust anything right now this is something you need to process and get through and that's what's ultimately going to have you feeling better and so you know we're not i'm not making a medicine change every day but you know we're we're just looking through immediate medical needs and um you know and but then talking the patient through things with symptoms and kind of help helping normalize where they are and and saying you know i'm working through some trauma from when i was a teenager that i haven't dealt with in 30 plus years right and and i'm i'm distressed and i'm anxious and walking them through hey you know what that we're going to get through that and and that's going to be something that you're going to continue to work on but where you're at is kind of normal for for anybody that was working through that and that can help just kind of normalize the process for them make them yeah i'm sure that can be crazy i'm not yeah exactly yeah that can be so validating because when you have been stuffing those feelings down forever and you start actually feeling them you think there is something very very wrong until until you're you know you realize in a program like this oh those are just my feelings i'm supposed to feel them (laughs) they're not going to kill me yeah exactly interesting so and and then and then in group they hear that you know that they think that they're the only ones you know a lot of people that have deep deep hidden buried secrets of you know abuse or different things think that they're the only one you know until they if they get in group and they finally admit it or things that they've done wrong and they finally confess it and admit it and then other people in the group say yeah me too yeah me too then they 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 don't feel like oh i'm not the only one in the world who's ever been through this and it helps them to to you know feel better about themselves and to let things out anxiety is a fear of finding out the truth about your own thoughts feelings and motives so uh anxiety is a fear of finding out the truth about your own thoughts, feelings, and motives, and and and, uh, and we've said before, Kristen, on our programs that the majority of our thoughts, feelings, and motives we're not even aware of; they're unconscious. Right. And in in a in a group, those unconscious thoughts, feelings, motives, grudges, bitterness, fears, come out. They they come to the client's awareness, and uh, when they do, and they cry about and share it with others, and people interact and all that. Then, then the fear goes away. So you can cure anxiety through therapy, and so we just use enough medication so so that they won't uh, experience just horrible pain. Like if somebody's having a horrible panic attack, they think they're having a heart attack and want to go to the emergency right. room. Well, we don't let them, you know, suffer uh, something like that. That you know, but we but we will let them feel enough anxiety so that they uh, will want to share and, and and feel a lot better from sharing That's right. is is family ever a part of this process we we try to get them to include their family uh and we'll often call the family if they if they say it's okay for us to call them and we encourage them to let their family be involved if they're not directly involved in the process there's things that like 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 letter writing i mean it might not be safe in some situations, but where it is, we certainly encourage the uh, family to be involved. And sometimes, if it's if it's uh, okay, we'll have them in for some sessions, a session or two. 
during the process. Right. But hey, I wanted to sh- I wanted to share something here while Dr. Sure. Meyer was talking. I found a I found a, a tweet from a guy that I know named Paul Meyer, and he says here I'm going to quote you, Dr. Meyer. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> he says here he says no matter how severe anyone's anxiety is or how long they've had it, modern meds can make it disappear within minutes, but only the truth cures it. Mm. The truth sets you free. Absolutely. In fact, yeah. there's a Bible verse that says that if the truth sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Mm. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. So, Paul, when you, you know, when you first opened Meyer Clinics, and it was probably just a Meyer Clinic, right? Yeah. So how did you move into the space of doing something like the Catalyst Program? Well, uh, when we started back in the 1700s, (laughs) when I was young, (laughs) No, back in 1976, uh, when, when we started, people could go in the hospital and insurance would pay for it. And, and, uh, and so they would, if people were suicidal or so depressed that they couldn't go to work or go to college, then, uh, then they would go into the hospital and, and we'd do all this sort of thing. And, and when people go to the hospital now, they don't get any of this stuff, but, but we would do all these group things and all those things that I learned at Duke and that different people learn different places. And, and, uh, uh, and people would get just amazingly better, but they'd stay three or four weeks in the hospital and then they'd go home. And then, uh, um, around, uh, the late eighties or 1990 or so, they, the insurance companies quit, quit paying for that. And now if somebody's suicidal, they go into a hospital. We don't even do hospital work anymore, but but we will. If somebody's you know threatening to kill themselves today, then they could go to a hospital or jail. They'd do about the equal an equal amount of good, um, but they need to go somewhere where they can't do it. You know, but they go in the hospital and they just load them up on medication. They don't do therapy on them. They don't do you know they don't do any counseling at all. Usually, they just load them up on medication and send them out four days later, whether they're still suicidal or not. And uh, and so when when hospitals when the insurance companies dictated that that's all you could do then we started the day program you know about maybe 40 30 years ago or 35 years ago to take the place of the hospitalization and so then instead people that live in the Dallas area stay in their homes at night but they come 7 hours a day for 7 hours a day of these different kinds of groups and uh, and I think again the process group is probably the most powerful cuz that's where they're sharing with each other for 90 straight minutes. Uh, but, but anyway, so all the things that we used to do in the hospital, we, we created a day hospital instead. 
And so people could still get the healing that they got in the hospital without being in a hospital. And so we call it the catalyst program now, but it's a day hospital or a day program. And, uh, and again, uh, I used to do outpatient therapy, Kristen, uh, mm-hmm. where I'd see people once a week. And if somebody was real, real depressed and anxious, I'd usually see them between nine months and a year. So it would take me nine months to a year of doing the best therapy I could do to get them where they're really feeling great, feeling a lot better. And, uh, and, and those very same people, those very same clients, kind of clients, if they would go in the day program for three weeks, they'd get as far in three weeks in the day program as I could get them doing my own therapy in nine months to a year. And uh, so it's just amazing. It's, it's just so exciting to watch that happen. We, we had a pastor that came in there. Of a, he had a 7,000-member church in another state, and, uh, and, he, and he got real depressed. And he did great while he was there. And uh, on his last day, I mean, he was feeling wonderful. But on his last day, he came in my office and he was crying. And I said, you know, what are you crying about? He said, I'm just overwhelmed with, he says, I've been a pastor for all this number of years. And, and we counsel, you know, we do pastoral counseling with hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of people over the years from our church. He said, I've never seen so many lives changed so quickly as I have in this day program. And he was just, you know, it was, he was weeping with joy over what he saw. And, and his church, uh, you know, sends people and, and helps pay their way um, through the day program. And, and it's just amazing uh, what happens. What's a, a minimum stay for the day program? Is it three weeks, Keith? Or I would say, yeah, I would say a minimum stay is three weeks. Um, I always like to get them to stay the fourth week if they can to just sort of solidify the work that they've done. It takes us about a week to do all of our initial assessments for all the clinicians to see them and then let's meet together for a team meeting and come up with sort of a treatment plan. And then uh, by the week two, they're starting to really get into dealing with their issues and learning about what they have to do to make changes. And uh, and then the third week, they sort of get to a place where they, they're getting it. And, but if they can stay a fourth week, I'd always, I'd always recommend that just so they can really solidify it a little bit more. Okay. So that I was thinking that too, like, you know, that fourth week is, is helping sort of launch them out back into their world. Yes. So what is the aftercare, you know, after that four weeks, if let's say it's someone that, you know, is out of state, what's the protocol in that regard? So the whole time I've been there, I've I've been trained that we start aftercare planning on the day that they arrive. So we start putting together resources for them. We find out some people live, you know, not in a big city where there's a lot of counseling available and those are a little bit more challenging, but we work with them. Uh, sometimes they're returning to a counselor. Sometimes they'll find a different counselor and a different medical management person, doctor, psychiatrist. But we have appointments set up before they leave for them to go and return home and start seeing a counselor and start seeing a, a doctor. And all that's taken care of before they leave. It's a really important part of what we do because we don't want to just leave them, you know, just leave them hanging out there. They've got to have something to continue to follow up with. I'd like to share a case study. Absolutely. Because I think maybe that's uh, for all of our listening family right now. Uh, 
you know, you're trying to, uh, all of you in our listening family are trying to figure out, and I, I wonder what this is, and I wonder what that's like, and I wonder what this is like, exactly. and that, that's like. But but I think by sharing a, a case study, maybe each of us can share one or something, but maybe that will help people see what, what really happens. Uh, what came to mind is uh, um, there's a patient, and I, and she doesn't even, her name's Diana, and, she, and, and I, that's her real name, because uh, she's the one that, she actually uh, wrote her own story in one of my books and said I could use her uh, as an example anytime I wanted to. So, but there is a, a gal named uh, Diana who um, was uh, extreme. She was, she was extremely abused growing up. We, you know, we won't go into all the details, but she, her mom and dad, you know, were physically abusive and sexually abusive and, and then parents divorced when she was young. And then, her mom ran a little uh, uh, dingy uh, motel, and and they would make the her and her sister do sexual things with customers that came and stayed at the motel, and uh, it was just you know one horrible experience after another. Right. And uh, this gal, when she was in high school, one of her friends, somebody be- befriended her, and brought her to their church youth group and things like that, and uh, she got close to God and she broke away from the family system. And, uh, even though she didn't get therapy, she did a lot of good, you know, she didn't get therapy then, but she got a lot better. And, uh, she went off to college and graduated and became a, became a teacher and married a, a wonderful man, uh, who was very kind to her and, uh, had a couple of kids. And so here she was, uh, in her thirties and, and she was happily married and going to church and, and uh, nice kids and all that. And then um, a principal at the school she was teaching at made advances at her, and it, and it brought back flashbacks. A lot of times people who were abused will sort of just be able to put it out of their minds for a while. But then when something happens, they have flashbacks, and it all comes back to them. And it all came back to her and just flooded her with pain. And so even though she had a nice uh, uh, husband and environment and all that sort of thing, she got extremely suicidal and her family doctor started her on antidepressant and, uh, but then she decided to kill herself and didn't tell anybody. And she got in a car and in her car and raced down the highway at a uh, 70 or 80 miles an hour toward a bridge abutment that she had already uh, picked out and she was going to crash into it and kill herself. Mm. And, uh, when she got right before that abutment and she, she would have done it when she got right before the abutment, her brake, her brakes locked and her car skidded and she just barely missed it, went in the ditch and crashed her car in the ditch. And I think she still told her car, but, but she uh, lived. And when she crashed into the ditch, her car radio bounced on to a, a Christian song out from the ashes, out from the ashes, God will save you out from the ashes. Mm-hmm. And she thought, wow, God still wants me alive. He put the brake on my car, brought on this song. He still wants me alive. And, and she drove home or didn't drive home. She called her, you know, called the police and called her husband and her husband came and took her home. And she didn't tell him that it was a suicide attempt. She just told him the brakes locked and they had an accident. And, yeah. and her doctor didn't know that that had happened. And as soon as she got home, the phone rang and she answered it. And it was her, her doctor, a, a lady doctor, a female doctor, and calling her saying, Diana, uh, you know, you've been real depressed lately. And 
Diane lives in a, you know, up, I think it's Oregon that she lives in. Uh, but it was one of those states right up there, either Oregon or Washington. And, uh, and her doctor said, I want you to go down to see Dr. Paul Meyer in Dallas and, uh, and stay in his day program, and I'm going to pay your bill. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, that talk about a miracle. <laughs> you know, when a doctor calls you up and says, I want you to go to the three-week program, and I'm going to pay your bill. Right. Uh, you know, that's pretty nice. And so she did, and she came down, and we treated her every day. And we did these different techniques, you know, that we put the empty chair in front of her and had her. She had so many people to tell off, you know, it, it took a lot of chairs and letters and all sorts of things and punching bags. And and uh, and she got it out. I mean, she did good, hard work. She stayed about three, three and a half weeks and she did fantastic. And uh, she went back uh, home and ended up work, working for a, a nonprofit organization that helped abuse victims. Oh, Instead wow. of teaching, she did that. And then while she was doing that, she got a degree in counseling and, uh, you know, plugging away at it little by little and became a, a professional counselor, which she is today. So she ended up working her way up in that uh, organization. It's a national, inter it's an inter international organization that helps abuse victims around the world. And she was, she became one of the leaders of that and, and also became a counselor. And, wow. uh, and so, you know, I think that's pretty cool story of you know what what the day program can do absolutely who wants to go next gentlemen <laughs> dr coburn i'll let you go i know you've got okay okay the, the there's two that i'm thinking about and i'll refer you to one of them one of them is in that book that paul and i wrote that ebook uh, meaning in life there's a letter in that book from a guy that came and stayed in our program and it's one of the best most powerful letters I've ever read. And so he gave me permission to include it in that book. So if you, if, if you get that book, then you can read that. But the other one I'm thinking about, there was a lady that came several years ago after her husband had been in our day program and they live in a different state and she came down and spent some time there and they were having pretty severe marital problems. They'd been married over 30 years and he was abusive in the marriage. And she learned about, she was pretty, to, to use a, a, a phrase, she was struggling with, with like codependency, fragile, kind of needy, unable to really stand up for herself, didn't really understand anything about boundaries. And she came through the program and she learned about all that stuff and she went home and started to just live healthier by using those things in her life. And of course that created more problems in her marriage and, um, she ended up separating from her husband and moving to this area. She was a teacher. Uh, she got the job substitute teaching at first, and then she went to aftercare outpatient groups to work on those issues. And I saw her off and on for about two years and watched her grow and become healthier and learn how to set boundaries. And she's struggling to make her marriage work and get them back together and in fact there there came a time when he did move down here and they started their life over here and she's been able to be strong and maintain her movement towards being whole and healthy and she's still the marriage is still a struggle but she's doing she's doing great i'm i'm, I'm really impressed with the way she's worked at it and the way she stayed with it and just kind of where she is right now and I'm sure you, you know, you get that feedback later. And does, is it always a surprise? No, 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 no. Uh, uh, you know, I've done this. 
yeah, I'm, I've been a long time. I, I, I sort of would be surprised if, if they, if you, you know, if they follow up, but if they don't follow through and get support around them when they leave and continue where they're going, then there's a good chance they will go back to what they were before. Right. But right. if they continue, it may change some other things in their lives, but they'll be healthier. They'll be more whole. That's what, that's what I expect to happen. Mm-hmm. And we plan with them from the first day they come, like you said earlier, from the first day they come, we spend a little bit of time with them, or they do, the counselors do, uh, getting them prepared to have a support system when they do get home. So we don't just do therapy on them while they're here. We, we do therapy on them, but we prepare them for the rest of their lives, you know, for being in some sort of support group when they get home. It might be, you know, it might be a, a card party group or something, you know, right. <laughs> or different. It might just be having friends, you know, but, or, or, or a celebrate recovery group, uh, celebrate recovery groups are all around America and they're free and, and, and they're usually really good. So that, that's something that a lot of them get, you know, do that they can afford to do. Right. How about you, Grant? Yeah, um, you know, one of the stories that always stick with me, I think, since I've been working with Catalyst, is there was a um, a patient that um, had contacted our day hospital and was. Uh, we actually got to hear his testimony, um, this patient's testimony, not too long ago at, at a little banquet that we had. But this patient was, um, I think, from his story, he was moments away from ending his life when yeah. um, our intake coordinator called him to follow up about his inquiry about our day program. Um, and we ended up bringing this patient in and he had been going through a lot of marital marital difficulties. And this patient just ended up doing some really awesome work. You know, a lot of the emotions and the feeling stuff was totally new to this client and um, did some strong, strong work in, in the program and ended up, you know, I think we, we found out um, several months later when he shared his testimony at, at uh, this um, kind of banquet thing we had that, you know, he had reconciled and that they were working on on the marriage and just being able to express himself appropriately, you know, mm. learning not stuff emotions and just not let rage and anger build. And it was just incredible, incredible story of, of what uh, I think that the, the team in our in our Catalyst program was able to do to just really help change, you know, you think about a family's life, what could have happened had had um, he, he followed through with with a suicide that um, right. would have left children, you know, fatherless and uh, just how just changed, you know, his kids' lives, just right. our program being able to, to help this patient. Um, a lot of the a lot of the clients that come will admit that they almost killed themselves. They almost did it uh, right before they came. And, and we have, you know, every few weeks, Chris, uh, we've got a gal named Chris who, who talks to the, when a client calls us and says, you know, I'm, I'm interested in your day program and, and Chris starts talking to him. And even though she's not a professional therapist, she might as well be because she's got such a heart of gold, (laughs) but she'll call them. She'll keep calling them and asking them, uh, you know, when are you going to come in? When are you going to come in? And, and, uh, just, I I remember just not long ago, a month or six weeks ago, there was somebody that, that she called one more time. She'd called him about four or five different times and to chat with him about coming in. And and he says, good thing you called. He said, I was just had the gun to my head. I was just getting ready to pull the trigger. 
when the, the phone call, oh when, when, you're, when the phone rang, and I'm going to come in. And, uh, and he came in and uh, worked and got better. People, when you're in the middle of a depression, if the, the, the low serotonin and all the things that are going on, it feels like it's never going to go away. You know, it's hard to convince people that it will. We need to give them a little hope. But when you're in it, it feels like it's never going to go away. So it's really hard for them to believe that they can get over it. And uh, uh, there was a study done. You know, there, I think it's Oregon that has assisted suicides, which I, mm-hmm. I'm totally against. And uh, and they got, for the study, they got uh, like a dozen people that were arranging assisted suicides to agree to do, you know, six months of therapy first. And uh, when they did that, 85%, it was something like 85% of them decided against suicide. But see, it seems logical when you're in the middle of that kind of pain to killing yourself seems logical. And people that do it wouldn't do it if they had a little bit of help, a little bit of medicine, some therapy. And, and, uh, and, and anybody that's suicidal can get well if they'll, if I, they'll go through the right steps. And there's a lot of, they don't, feel like they're worth being alive there's that also so mm-hmm. how you know how do you work with someone who you know they show up and yes it's a great thing that they showed up but maybe you know their family has really pressured them or something like that and they just don't even feel like they're worth being helped Keith, you tell them about that one well so i was thinking as we're as you're talking about this there there's still i hear often people come in and they will say you know, this place is my last hope. If I don't get better here, I am going to go kill myself. I hear that. And I try to find something, something that they have hope in. I mean, sometimes people say that, you know, I won't kill myself because I believe it's a sin and God won't forgive me. I won't kill myself because of my kids. So I'm going to try to find, if they're that desperate, uh, I'm going to try to find some way to get them something that they can have some little piece of hope about. Because if they if they're they're in a lot of pain and they have no hope, then I'm going to be really concerned about that, and I'm probably going to recommend that they go inpatient for a few days till they can get past that, and then come back and, and do more therapy and try to find some hope. And you know, when they're in the group and they hear other people share their stories of hope, oftentimes somebody's leaving on a day that someone new comes in, and then they share their story how they were when they first came in and now how much hope they have that instills hope in the the new person coming in. If they do need to go inpatient, where, you know, where are they going to do that? Because I know they're not doing it at the Richardson clinic. Well, I mean, do we have a a local hospital? hospital Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. They go in in for four days. They go in for four days and get medicated and sent back out. But, but that's still four days that they're locked up and can't kill themselves. So, Right. You know, it gives them a little bit of time to think. Right. Gotcha. I know I'm like the details. Who picks me up at the airport? How do I, what yeah. hotel am I? How far am I from yeah. the office? <laughs> Those are the kind of things I would be asking someone. Interesting. Well, I'm, I'm glad that we did this because I feel like, um, I feel like you all are so obviously warm and care and love this. So it takes a lot of that fear about strangers that you're going to come in and share your deepest pain with, you know, you all love doing this and you want people to, to do well. So people can actually pick up the phone 
or email or call, you know, and, and say, and our therapists, really want our help. therapists are so loving. Yeah. Our therapists are extremely loving. Uh, in fact, Dr. Coburn uh, teaches graduate students. In fact, he's, he's getting ready to go teach a lecture right now. He might've already left our conversation, but, <laughs> but, uh, but he, he teaches graduate students and I always tell him, Keith, find the, the students that you get to know that are the most loving, that also have an A average. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, so find the, the most loving uh, people that you can find that are also smart and uh, have them come on as, and be interns. So they, we get the, the finest interns uh, in the world, in my opinion. And then, and, then they, uh, and then about half of them, we train them for a couple of years and teach them all these things that they, they couldn't learn if they went to Duke, you know, PhD school or something that they couldn't learn it. And, uh, they, they learn all these things that we've been using for 40 years. And, right. and, uh, and so they become excellent therapists and about half of them will stay with our clinic and, and the other ones will go on to uh, do other jobs and, or be on a church staff or do different things that they want to do with their lives. And, uh, and so we just got a very loving staff and I'm so proud of them. And, uh, uh, I love them, and and I love being with them, and I love what I do, and I think our our whole uh, crew there, Grant Davis included, he's got a heart of gold. Feel, you know, it's not just a job; it's you know, it's a it's, it's a, a mission, and it's yeah. a mission and a calling, and uh, we love each other, and we love the clients. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that we did this. Um, I know Dr. Coburn left because I can see that he left because he does have to go teach, but I'm going to give, I'm sure he's going to listen to this later. So thank you so much oh, yeah. for coming on. Grant, thank you again for coming on as well and sharing the nights that you have with us when you could be having dinner, I'm sure with family. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. <laughs> and Paul, as always, what would we do without our Monday nights? You know what I mean? <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean that, that's our. This is our family get together for. That's right. Me and you and uh, Melanie, you know, we. Uh, I look forward to that. I'd look forward to it if if it wasn't uh, a podcast. On the air, exactly, <laughs> exactly. We make it like it's not. You know, uh, we we, we share with each other, just as though we were just uh, sitting in table. a group with our family. Our listening family is our family. So that's right, exactly. So uh, thank you to our listening family for tuning into what you've told us is one of your favorite regular shows on mental health news radio and everyone have a good evening. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to mental health news radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial.